Well, it's the last night of the meeting. I want to take just a moment to say thanks to all of you for giving me the opportunity to come and share in the good things that you enjoy here on a regular basis. You all have quite, quite a good thing going here with the elders and the deacons and the preachers and this, this church. You are to be commended for the example that you are setting for the work that you are doing For the seed that is uh, being sown, and my prayer is that God would continue to bless you in the work that is taking place here and the work that you are involved in in other places, so that the name of Christ would be lifted up and that lost souls would be brought to Him. I thank you this week for giving me the opportunity to come and, and study with you in these lessons. <clears throat> it's been a variety of things uh, on Sunday. Uh, we did a great variety of uh, topics together. Uh, this On Monday, Tuesday, and tonight, we've been talking about truth from the book of Galatians. And uh, I've enjoyed very much uh, the opportunity to study these lessons with you. And I have appreciated the rapt and uh, respectful attention that you have given to the studies. Uh, it's encouraging when you're teaching and preaching uh, to, be, uh, to be working with folks who are paying attention and who are showing respect for the Word. People who have the book with them and uh, who are following along and who are obviously interested in things of a spiritual nature. We're, we're involved in something that is much, much greater than any of us. <clears throat> we're involved in something that pertains to the creator of the universe, his name, his reputation, his will, and his objective. And uh, it's a great blessing and a privilege to find other people who have committed their entire lives to His glory and to His service, and to spend time together doing the things that we've done together here. I I thank you for all the kindnesses, for your hospitality, uh, for the kind words that you have shared with me. And I pray that God will continue to bless you in the good work that you are doing for Him. Tonight, as, as we conclude all of this, I want to talk about proclaiming truth. Bob and I today were talking about <clears throat> some realities of our preaching lives and our, our families and uh, what, it's, what it's like to preach the gospel and experiences that we've had in, in preaching the gospel. The Apostle Paul in Galatians uh, chapter 2 has some things to say not only about <clears throat> unity and truth and defending the truth, but also about, he reminds us that his job, his task was to proclaim the truth. And the apostles in Jerusalem, as they extended to him the right hand of fellowship, they bid him to go and carry the gospel to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. The Lord intended that when the gospel was going to go forth into the world, that uh, the world was uh, going to be shaken up with the proclamation of, of the truth of the kingdom. Uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit tells us in the book of Acts 
that one of the accusations regarding the early evangelists is they were turning the world upside down uh, with their preaching of the gospel. Jesus, uh, Jesus didn't mind shaking things up with the gospel. He did not mind moving people out of their comfort zone. He didn't mind turning things upside down at times when they needed to be shaken up. And, and I would say to you tonight that what, one of the first things that we're reminded of when we think about uh, the task that Paul had in front of him in taking the gospel to the Gentiles It certainly was a break from the status quo as far as the Jews were concerned, because for most of them, their entire concept of covenant relationship with God had everything to do with Judaism, with Jews, with those who bore in their flesh the mark of the covenant. And so when Paul comes along and he is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation by grace through faith in Christ, that a a salvation that was being extended to Jew and Gentile, a, a salvation that was bringing those who were far off the Gentiles and those who were nigh the Jews Together in one body in Christ, Paul was shaking things up. This was not preaching as usual. This was not status quo religion at all. I I want to remind you tonight that the God that we serve is not the God of the status quo. He's not. He shakes us up. And then he puts us out into the world to shake things up there with the gospel. When when God chose Noah and called Noah to serve him, he had Noah do something that had never been done before. Can you imagine? (laughs) Out of all the people in all the world, Noah was a righteous man. God found a righteous man. And this world that says was so evil, so wicked, so far gone that it repented God that he had even made man. And God found Noah. (laughs) And he said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I I want you to prepare this ark. Noah was already different. You can imagine Because every thought and imagination of man's heart was only evil continually, except for Noah. And now God says, I I, I want you to prepare this ark. I cannot even begin to imagine what the neighbors said. The ark was 120 years in preparation. And we are told that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. 120 years he's preparing the ark. Nobody had ever done that before. And he was calling the people to repentance, telling them that judgment was coming. When God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, He shook up life as usual. And he told Abraham, get up, pack it up, 
move it out. Where, where are we going? You're going to the place I'm going to show you. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us of the tremendous faith of Abraham when he answered the call of God to go forth from Ur of the Chaldees, not knowing whithersoever he went. He didn't know where he was going. Can you imagine that conversation with the neighbors? Abraham, you, you're packing up everything. Yeah, we're, we're moving the family. Well, where are you going? Well, I don't rightly know. Well, how long are you going to be gone? I really couldn't say. Well, well, why are you going? Well, God told me to go. Well, which God? The God. Well, what's his name? Well, he is... The one true God. The one true God. Well, what does he look like? I don't know. I've never seen him. You've never seen him. You're about to move your family and go somewhere. You don't even know where you're going. You don't know if you're ever coming back. Because you heard the voice of a God, you don't even know his name, and you've never even seen him. That's right. And then there was Moses, who grew up as the prince of Egypt, and then when he was 40 years old, he messed that up. He went running for his life, he ends up out in the wilderness of Midian, he he gets married, and 40 years later... Forty years later, he's 80 years old. He sees this burning bush. And the first thing God says to him was, get those shoes off your feet. You're standing on holy ground. You need to understand who you're talking to. And you need to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. You're going back to Egypt. And you're going to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. God was throughout history. God was breaking away from life as usual, the status quo. God is not really fond of the status quo. And God shakes things up. He does the unusual. I will tell you, one of the things we ought to pray from time to time is that God would use us in ways that we have not been used and God would do things that we're not used to. He calls a shepherd boy to become a king. He calls fishermen and tax collectors and a zealot to become apostles. He's not the God of the status quo. If if we're going to be about the work that God's called us to do, and and if we are going to be successful in evangelizing the world, we've got to change some things and and get busy and get the message out. And, And someone said, everybody wants progress, but nobody wants to change. 
There's something to that. Change can be uncomfortable. Change pushes us out of our comfort zone, doesn't it? And change forces us out of our little ruts and routines. Change destabilizes our routines. It challenges our priorities. It it disrupts our plans. It, It opens the door to unknown things. It upsets the apple cart. It rearranges our lives. Change can be scary. And yet, one of the things that we must come to understand and appreciate is this. If we want what we've never had, then we've got to do what we've never done. You know what they say about the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over again and each time hoping for a different result. Well, you keep doing the same thing, you get this, the same result. If we are going to take the gospel to the Gentiles, if we are serious about going into all the world with the gospel of Christ, if we are serious about reaching the lost for Jesus, then we've got to make some changes And we've got to get out there and get the job done. So Jesus is going to say after three or three and a half years of preparing his apostles, he's going to say, now, I want you to go. I want you to go. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say all counties in the state of Alabama. He didn't say all states in the United States of America. He said, I want you to go and carry the gospel, make disciples of all nations, carry the gospel into all the world. God is not the God of the status quo. He he, he, uses, it, 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 he uses the gospel to shake us up, to change our lives. And then he uses us to go out into the world and change the lives of others with the gospel. We, we need to, as a people, we, we need to come to appreciate what God intended for us to do. As our primary work, as our primary objective in carrying the gospel to the lost. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus in Matthew, the fifth chapter, in his inaugural address, he was trying to explain to the disciples what kingdom life is all about. And he started off by saying, first of all, if you're going to be my disciple, this is what you must be. He didn't start off with, if you're going to be my disciple, this is what you must do. He started off with, this is what you must be. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they. He started off by by defining and describing the character of the disciple. Then he gives illustration after illustration. If you have this character... This is what it looks like in real life. 
if you have a pure heart, if you are merciful, if you are poor in spirit, this is what it looks like in real life. And so in the sermon, he gives illustration after you've heard that it was said this, but I'm telling you, Jesus said that this is what God is looking for. And then in chapters eight and nine of Matthew, we read about one miracle after another that Jesus performs. He cleanses a leper. He heals the centurion's son. Peter's mother-in-law is sick and he heals her. There's a storm on the sea and he speaks and he calms the sea with his words. He casts the demons out and into the swine. He heals the paralytic. He heals a woman. He raises the dead. He gives sight to the blind. He gives speech to a man who could not speak. And then, with that background, there's a transition that takes place because now, these apostles that are being mentored must somehow make this transition from being spectators in the kingdom to becoming missionaries in the world. And so now he's going to begin to send them out to get the job done. So if you have your New Testament in Matthew, the ninth chapter, as you get to the end of that particular section, uh, Jesus has described the character of the apostle, uh, uh, of the disciple, and, and then he's described what it looks like, and then he's performed all of these miracles, and, and now it's time for them not just to watch him in, in the kingdom, it's time for them to go out. And, and here's what the text is telling us in the transitional comments. We're in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse number 35. Verse number 35. And the text says that Jesus went about all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of disease and all manner of sickness. But when he saw the multitudes. If you underline things in your text, I want you to underline that word saw. When Jesus saw the multitudes. Because one of the first tasks that we have before us, if we are going to proclaim truth to the world. If we are going to get the job done in evangelizing the world, we must learn to see the lost. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were distressed and scattered as sheep not having a shepherd. Not having a shepherd. I'll tell you, Jesus looked out and, and he saw lost people. He saw lost sheep. They were like, they were like sheep who were just wandering around in the wilderness 
without their shepherd. For whatever reason, their shepherd was sick, their shepherd was lost, their shepherd uh, had gone away. Uh, They were like sheep without a shepherd, wandering around, no idea where they were, no idea where they were going, no idea what to do. And Jesus, Jesus was, the text says, moved with compassion for them. The, The world is full of people who are lost and wandering around, not knowing where they are and not knowing where they were going. Jesus saw something that his disciples did not see. We need to learn to see people as Jesus saw them. Ladies and gentlemen, the world is full of people who are not like us. And one of our dangers in evangelistic outreach is to wittingly or probably unwittingly just always looking for people like us. The world is full of people who aren't like us. And the world was full of people who were not like the chosen ones who were being discipled by the Lord. Jesus wanted his disciples to see the law. And the text says he was, when he saw them, moved with compassion. It's a very interesting word that's translated here, compassion. Feeling compassion. The word actually means to feel it in your bowels. To f- uh, we have an expression in English. We use sometimes. We say, I, I just have a gut feeling about this. What, what do we mean when we say that? We mean we feel it all the way down. Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the bowels of mercies. It's the same, same, same idea that we're talking about. And Jesus, when he saw the people... The people who were as lost as they could be. They did not know where they were. They did not know where they were going. They did not know what to do. He was touched. And he wasn't touched, listen to me, he wasn't touched just a little bit. The idea is he was touched deep down inside of him. In the bowels of mercies, he felt compassion for them. He was moved with compassion for them because they were distressed and scattered like sheep not having a shepherd. He knew their true condition. He saw it, and they didn't know. I I want to say to you, we we won't have an evangelistic fervor for the lost that we ought to have until we learn to see people the way Jesus saw them in terms of their being lost. We will not have the evangelistic fervor that we ought to have until we learn to feel compassion 
within the depth of our soul, within our bowels, we won't learn. We will not have the evangelistic fervor we ought to have until we feel that compassion for the lost and until we know what Jesus knew, that they were distressed and they were uh, like sheep without a shepherd. Someone said, until you see, you will not feel. And until you feel, you will not know. And until you know, you will not care. Until you care, you will not pray. And until you pray, you will not go. The world is full of people who are hurting, who are wounded, who are mangled, who are confused, who are harassed, uh, who are distressed, who are scattered. We need to pray that the Lord would open our eyes. As Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest indeed is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of harvest would send forth laborers into the field. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus saw and he felt and he knew and then he called his disciples to go forth, telling them the harvest is plentiful. That's an encouraging truth. The harvest is there. They are out there. It's encouraging. But you know, the harvest time doesn't last forever. Anybody who's farmed understands that. When, when you have... When you have prepared the ground, when you have sown the seed, when you have cultivated the soil, uh, when the, the, the uh, crops are matured, when the harvest time arrives, you have a window of opportunity to gather the crop. If you don't take it during that period of time, you missed it. And you are going to miss the harvest. Jesus is reminding us that there's a window of opportunity here. The harvest is plentiful. It's time. It is the time to go and bring the loss to the Lord. But there's a limited time here. And let me suggest to you, it's limited in two ways. Number one, the opportunity is limited for the lost. The lost are not going to be there forever. Sometimes, sometimes you get one opportunity that someone opens a door for you, ask you a question. Someone engages you in a conversation. Someone just confides in you about something they're struggling with. You get one opportunity, one opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. The window was open. It's going to be closed again. There's a limited window of opportunity for the lost. Sometimes the limited window of opportunity is for the laborer because we don't always have repeated opportunity. There are times, for example, 
There, there are times when it's possible to go to a place and, and preach the gospel. There are other times when those doors are closed. We're not allowed to go in politically or for whatever reason. We're not allowed in. There are just windows of opportunity. Jesus was saying to his disciples, open your eyes, look, see the lost, be touched for the lost, and and go. The harvest time is when it's there. Take advantage of it. There are lost people around us. They need the gospel. Are you always going to be able to go? Are you always going to be able to send someone? Are you always going to be able to help in in, in that work, in that place? No, but right now you can. Do it, Jesus said. Do it. This is the time. There's a sense in which the windows open and close. There's a sense in which as long as we have life and breath and the gospel is on our tongue... There's some opportunity open to us. There's some window that's open. There's some harvest that's waiting for us. Where is it? At at one time, at one time, it it may be in our family. But things in families change. Have you ever noticed that? And we think back on times when in our family, we had a lot of discussions about spiritual things. And then... With the passing of years and some events that took place, it's just, maybe, maybe you don't say it's impossible to talk about it anymore, but it's surely not, it's not the same as it used to be. We don't have the same opportunity that we once had with our family. And then there are the friends. But with the passing of time, that, that changes. And, and I'm saying to you, that's the way it is with opportunities. We're the harvest fields today. I can remember, it wasn't that many years ago, when the Eastern Bloc countries first opened up. Can you remember that? When it was possible for the first time in many years for Christians to go into Eastern Europe and to some of the Eastern European countries, carrying the message of the gospel. I I can remember... The excitement about that and the enthusiasm and the number of people who were standing up saying, I will go, I will go. And people going and looking for prospect and finding people who had been waiting for years and were hungering and thirsting for someone to come and bring a Bible to them and teach them about Jesus. And in just a few short years of our own lifetime, what's happened to that religious fervor to take the gospel there. Windows of opportunity open and they close. And then Jesus said, here's the reality. The harvest indeed is plentiful. Here's the reality. The laborers are few. (laughs) Why? Well, have you ever worked in the field? Some, maybe, maybe some of you have not. Some of you are old enough. I suspect you've worked in the field. Growing up in South Alabama, I worked in many a field. And, and I can tell you, uh, 
In spite of what you may have seen on the movies or read in a book, working in a field is not very glamorous. It's hard, slow, sometimes very dirty work. It's working in a field is not it's it's not like being on stage. Working in a field is not exactly where you go if you're needing your ego stroke that day. I was more worried about my dad stroking something besides my ego, but it wasn't my ego he was going to stroke. To be a laborer in the harvest means that we have to have a different set of objectives and priorities. And Jesus said, the truth of the matter is the harvest is plenteous. It's the laborers that are few. Pray to the Lord of harvest. Pray to the Lord of harvest. Isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't say, you know, what we really need If we're going to be successful in evangelizing the world in the first century, we need you all to preach some really good sermons on evangelism. What Jesus said was, what we really need for you to do is get down on your knees and pray the Lord of harvest to send forth workers into the field. We pray, and we pray, and we pray. And and Jesus said, Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest. That, That is a very interesting expression. Pray to the Lord that He would send them forth into the harvest. The word ekbalo. Ek meaning out. Balo to throw. What did Jesus say? Pray to God that he would take his people and throw them out into The harvest, ballo, to throw. You know the word ballistic, don't you? The same root. We need to pray, folks, that God would send forth laborers. That he would, in a sense, throw them out into the harvest all the way to where good and honest hearts are waiting to receive the gospel. We need to pray to the Lord to send those laborers. And then we need to grow up spiritually so that we either become the ones who are being thrown out to carry the gospel or we become the ones who are supporting and encouraging those who are being thrown out to preach that gospel.
We need to grow spiritually after we have prayed so that it's impossible for us to stay neutral or indifferent about preaching the gospel in the world. I want want to ask you something. What, What could be done if God took among us the very best and the brightest, those, those who have within their abilities both the resources and the opportunities to proclaim truth. What if God took us and threw us out of our comfort zones, of our domains of, uh, of habit, And what if he used us, turning our hearts so that our resources, our stewardship of our resources became such that we saw as our fundamental mission in life, our very purpose here, was to use the things that God has given us And being thrown out into the world and supporting those who are thrown out to carry the gospel to the lost, to those sheep that are dying, that are wandering uh, as sheep without a shepherd. Those who are lost and harassed. Who knows? Who knows what God could accomplish in the world? If we began to pray fervently in our congregations that God would help us to go forth into the world. Who knows how God might answer such a prayer? Who knows what might be done in a local church and by a local church when brethren pray consistently and fervently for opportunities to carry the gospel into this community, into other communities around, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. Who knows what might happen if parents and grandparents prayed regularly and fervently, Lord, use my children and help me to mold their hearts that they might go forth into the world and carry the blessed gospel of Christ. Who's going to carry the gospel? If it's going to be carried, Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's going to be carried by us. And we need not forget our fundamental task to carry the message. Lord, we pray, do things with us and among us that we are not used to. Rearrange our lives and touch the bowels of compassion in our hearts that we might see the lost. And be touched for them.
and give ourselves to the task of carrying the gospel to them. If we want what we've never had, we've got to do some things that we've never done. I, I would tell you tonight that one of the great privileges of being a Christian and being part of what we've been part of this week is that we have the blessing of the encouragement and the edification that we derive from one another when we're together. That's why God wanted us to be together on a regular basis. And that's why He said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But there's a reason why He wanted us to be together and He wanted us to grow spiritually and He wanted us to derive that strength because He wants to throw us out into the world with the message of Christ to touch the hearts and the lives of individuals who are wandering like sheep without a shepherd, lost not knowing who they are or where they are or where they're going. And He wants us to carry to them the blessing of the message of the gospel. Knowing that it is going to shake them up and change their lives in a very beautiful way that's going to glorify God. And I'm saying to you this evening as we close, I'm so glad for the time that we've had together this week to talk about things of spiritual import. I am so grateful to God for the privilege of singing praise together with you and praying together with you and studying together with you. And I am so grateful for the encouragement that comes from all of this that helps us to be the people that God has called us to be, the very disciples that Jesus wanted us to be. And I pray now that God would use us as we go forth looking for every opportunity to tell someone the blessed news that Jesus saves. If you're here tonight not a Christian, what, what a wonderful time. For you, while we're gathered here in this assembly tonight, to express your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and with a penitent heart to put on the Lord in baptism tonight. There would be great rejoicing in heaven. There would be great rejoicing here. And if you're a child of God, and for whatever reason you've wandered away from the Father, our prayer for you tonight is that your heart would be turned toward home. And that you would come back to the loving embrace of your Father tonight. While we stand and sing, we would invite you to come.